conclusions, but I want to, I want to, I want to, in a sense, uh, brainwash you a little bit into what I learned <laughs> uh, in front of that, try to influence a little bit of what you might could learn from this too. So um, let me just pray and then ask God to help us. And then, and then I'll just, I'll just dive right in. Lord, for the next few minutes, I pray that you would uh, give me the, the, the words to communicate my story and my love for your church. Help me to do that with uh, wisdom and patience, courage, and to pray for us as a church that we would, we would fall more in love with your bride and that we would love her like you love her. And, uh, and thank you that you gave yourself up for, for your church. Help us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so my journey into the church. A uh, little background, I grew up in uh, just north of Atlanta, a little town called Tucker, Georgia. It's actually Stone Mountain. Probably know Stone Mountain. Uh, we could, we could, we went and watched the fireworks show at Stone Mountain every Fourth of July, and uh, all the laser show. If you, if you know anything about the laser show, uh, my mom is a strong Christian, uh, uh, a saint to be honest. What she's been through. My father is a uh, devout atheist, uh, and I, I call him, I call him a violent atheist because he is uh, adamantly against anything Christian organized religion, that kind of thing. Uh, so you, you can imagine that home life. Uh, I, I told people that I had a drug problem. Um, my parents drugged me to church <laughs> uh, when I was young. Uh, but that was a culture of living in the deep south is you went to church. And so my dad, even as an atheist, went to church. Uh, and he went, and honestly, it was because he, it was, a, it was good for his business. It was good for his reputation. It was good uh, as, a, as a front face to uh, what his life should look like as a good Southern gentleman. And um, so we were, we were members at First Baptist Church in Tucker, Georgia, which is still there today. It's got a, uh, a, storied, and a storied history in lots of ways. Um, but the church, the, the church nominated uh, guys like my father um, for deacon. Um, for leadership, talented, reputable men, but possibly not even believers. Uh, that was sort of the church culture I grew up in. Before you judge, <laughs> uh, that scenario is true in the PCA too. Uh, unspiritual, ungodly men who get leadership position because they've got worldly gifts and worldly accolades. So don't judge too quickly the system because the problem there is not the system, it's ungodliness. And so, uh, but that was my experience, a church that had uh, godly people and ungodly people uh, in its leadership. The system I also grew up in was one of, of getting saved and then having multiple rededications. Maybe you understand that language. So I got baptized and got saved early. I learned to cuss when I was 11. I learned to dip when I was 12. My Friend's mom got bone cancer, and each of those required a rededication on my end to secure that my, my faith. Um, sadly, um, many of the guys and girls that I grew up in that church with, because of that system and its uh, flaws, actually went wayward in Christ. Uh, it was exhausting. That was an exhausting way to do faith. Again, before you judge the system, we have the same issues here at TCPC. Wayward children who are exhausted from the gymnastics of spirituality and get tired and, and walk away from the faith. So the problem is not the system. 
The problem is ungodliness and the need for the spirit to come. I'm going to pull all this together in a second. I experienced growing up several church splits, uh, so to speak, where divisive people would raise up and cause a ruckus. And because of the system, uh, the pastor was, had to leave or was kicked out or ran out of town or whatever. Uh, again, this is not unique to one branch of the church. And what I mean by unique, it might be unique how that church split happens, but divisive people in the church raising up and causing ruckuses is not unique to a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, non-denominational church. It's a human issue. So my point here is my first lesson, what I learned in retrospect is the church is first spiritual. Whatever else it is, is a distant second. It is spiritual. This is not a club that you join and pay your dues and get your right to vote. Uh, this is not a club that you come and find your significance and find your gift mix where you can plug in and mean something to somebody. This is the church of Jesus Christ who is bought with his blood and therefore it is spiritual and spiritual people lay hold of it. That was what I learned. Uh, so that will cross all branches of the church uh, on earth. So I was very disillusioned with the church though growing up. And I went to college and as you can expect, went crazy. And I mean literally crazy. Like uh, I meet people that I went to college with who knew me. So I, so I came to Christ my junior year of college and people who knew me in my BC days of Christ, you know, freshman and sophomore years, they cannot believe that I'm a pastor now. Like seriously, like Will, Will Witherington's a pastor? But people who knew me in my AD days were like, yeah, man, he had a real transformation. So I had a BC and an AD experience in college. You understand that language, right? Uh, but, but in God's goodness, I, I met several men. They, they were involved with campus outreach, but they were, they were committed Christians and they were committed churchmen. And I had never seen that. I had never seen godly men who loved God, loved their wives, and loved the church. I just kind of, I didn't know they existed. You know, I didn't know that that kind of uh, paradigm existed. And so I spent as much time with those guys as I could. This helped shape my new understanding that being a part of the church meant being a part of Christ or, and not some religious club. Or say it another way, that I, I learned real quickly, you can be part of the church and even a leader of the church and not know Christ, but you can't know Christ and not be a part of his church. That was huge for me. And I, had, I was just talking to Fred Ramel in the back. Fred, you'll love this connection. But one of my mentors at that time early on was the founding pastor of the PCA at Briarwood Presbyterian Church, Frank Barker. And if you, if you read any book this summer, get his biography called Flight Path. It's hilarious and it's incredibly powerful. But he says in there, he, he was a non-believer while in seminary getting ready to be a pastor. He was a non-believer. He came to know Christ while in seminary. Uh, and that was one of my mentors. And I could connect with that, that, wow, you can actually be, you can actually do the church hurdles, put on the right face in church and have no association with Christ. But you can't know Christ and not be in, not be in his church. You can't. It's just that you're part of his body. And that, that was a huge lesson for me. So my first experience with the church after I came to know Christ was with Hollywood Baptist Church in Rome, Georgia. No lie, it was named Hollywood Baptist Church. And I, to this day, I love this church. 
Uh, I, uh, I talk with David Harper, the pastor. We both have the same birthday, February 3rd. He's a little bit older than me, so we have a lot of connection there. But two things really emerged during that time. Of, this was 1994, 1995. God used Hollywood to shape in me a love for worship and a love for missions. Uh, we, we did some amazing things there at, in Hollywood Baptist Church in Rome, Georgia for the, in, for, the, for the nations. But I also learned that worship was meant to shape me. I was meant to go on Sunday mornings and be formed by God in worship. Hollywood taught me that. It was amazing. Uh, the other thing I learned was from these guys that were involved with campus outreach was that the church, one of the, so if, if one of the main central tenets of the church is to worship God, the other main central is to make disciples. Like those were, to, to what I grew up in my experience, inseparable things. You go to church to be fed, to be shaped, so that God can use you to then make disciples among all peoples. I, I, I just didn't have any separation of those. And that's how I've sought to live my life since, is worship and discipleship. And God used those early days in my Christian disciple to do that while in the church. Even though I was involved with a campus organization, it was the church that was forming those things in me. So lesson for us is, do you see the church that way? Do you see worship and discipleship as the core tenets of the church? Uh, and I hope so. Uh, what I learned, though, in summary, and this is the way I'll, I'll, I'll use this language going forward, that the church is both spiritual, Christ in you, shaping you through his body, and the church is missional, Christ through you, using you to spread a passion for his glory everywhere. So the church is spiritual and missional. And so, you know, when Robert taught about the church the first week, he very clearly spelled out from Matthew 16, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We tend to, we tend to see that hell as the offensive force in the world. That's not the way that verse reads. The, the gates of hell fortified, standing still, protecting itself, will not be able to hold back the offensive charge of the church. And so if you need to hear the church is supposed to be offensive, <laughs> I don't mean offensive people, like, <laughs> but we're supposed to play offense. We're not supposed to play defense. Uh, I was a basketball player and I hated defense. I wanted to get on offense as quick as possible. So, because that's where you score the baskets, right? Uh, the I, and during this time period, I began to get exposure to a lot of the historical reform teachers. And one of the things they talked a lot about was the church militant. I don't know if you know that word. I've, I've got a military background in my life. So that word immediately drew me in. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, we're going to fight for Jesus, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, but the church is militant. The church is on the move. Uh, Jesus even said, forceful men lay hold of it. Uh, there's, a, there's a sense of charging here, and, and that, that was shaped in me. So my, my shaping of the church very early was that the church, whatever branch it is, you understand what I mean by branch, I hope, is that it's first spiritual. And if, and a, and if a distant second is missional. All right, so what led me to being part of the Presbyterian branch? So after I graduated from college, um, 1995, uh, Danielle and I were engaged, got married in 96, and we moved to Carrollton, Georgia, another robust epicenter of urban society. <laughs> uh, not. Um, interestingly, though, uh, if, if, some of, some, if you're interested in this, you can talk to me about it, but the, the, if Campus Outreach has been around for 45 years or so. 
it's amazing to see what God did in Carrollton, Georgia, uh, and the laborers he sent out of a little nothing city called Carrollton, Georgia. And we got to be a part of that. And, but while we were there, God allowed us to be part of a, a PCA church there called King's Chapel Presbyterian Church. And this move for me to a PCA church was rooted first in my shifting theological convictions. Okay, so I, I was studying, I was reading my Bible, and I was seeing what, what now I, what I came to understand as Reformed theology and Covenant theology. Um, let, me, let me just unpack those from my own story. When, when I say I, I began to understand Reformed theology, it, what, I wasn't so much drawn to the Reformed theology because of its soteriology, which is its salvation components, okay? Commonly argued predestination and uh, election and all that. Because my story was so messed up, I knew the only way God had saved me was he came and rescued me out of the pit of hell. Like, I, I, knew, I knew it had zero to do with my effort in my, so I had no problem with the idea that God uh, chose me, God had put his hand on me, God had reached out of heaven and pulled me out. You know, it wasn't like, I, I, I had no problem with that. And so Reformed Theology is like, I, I remember I was on the golf course with a guy that, uh, who's one of my mentors who's, who's down in Perimeter Church in Atlanta now. And I said, hey, I said, he, I was telling him what I was re- learning from the scriptures. And he's like, you, you know, Will, that, there's actually two camps of people who believe differently about what you just said. And I was basically talking about John 6, 44. You know, no one can come to the Father unless he's drawn, right? And I was like, you mean there's people who don't believe that? <laughs> he, I didn't know there was two camps. So the Reformed salvation component wasn't a problem. But what gripped me about Reformed theology was, and, and, and this may not be the best way to say it, but the all of life worship component that the Reformers talked about. Everything was God-centered, from parenting to gardening to evangelism, it all was about God. There was no component of life that was separate. There was no sacred things and secular things. It was all God. And that shift in my thinking was radical. And I remember reading something from St. Francis of Assisi who said if he was out hoeing his garden one day and somebody said, the Lord's coming back, the Lord's coming back, what would you do differently? He said, I'd keep hoeing my garden. And his point was, today, right now, God has given me the task of hoeing my garden for my family to feed my family. And if he were to come back, he will find me being faithful right now doing what he called me to do. Because, you know, the the answer would have been, oh, you should go start sharing your faith and you should throw your hoe down and go lead people to Christ. No, that reformed teaching of all of life matters. It really matters how you do your job and how you raise your kids and how you go to Walmart. (laughs) There's not a compartment that you can separate there. The spiritual and the missional, again, are one, and, and Reformed theology taught me that, and I learned that at this PCA church. The second thing I learned was about the covenants. God is a covenant-keeping God. The scriptures from Genesis to Revelation unfold through a series of covenant-keeping relationships completed in Christ and fulfilled ultimately in the church. That was a powerful point, the understanding of the covenants. But, but because of my ingrainedness at that point, at age what, you know, 23 or whatever, I would have called myself a covenant reformed Baptist. And the holdout was immersion, baptism. And that was the lone holdout for me. Uh, I'm not gonna go into that journey. That's a long journey, 11 years, really. And if, you, if that's your situation, call me. I'd love to go to coffee. Here's, 
to not tantalize you without some sort of explanation, <laughs> here's the summary of how I would say what my journey to covenant baptism was. As a new father, so I had just had Sarah, I began to see myself not as the chief evangelist of my kids trying to get them to that magical day of salvation, but more of a patriarch trying to guide my children through the covenant promises given to them through my relationship with God. If you want to know more about that, you can call me and we'll have coffee. But that had a huge impact on me. My, my job was to guide them through my relationship with God and his covenant promises, not convert them. Anyway, okay. So while I wrestled with my theology of baptism, I did see in that PCA church a form of plurality of leadership to be not only faithful to the scriptures, but practically powerful. Um, I, I saw this at work. I, had to, I actually had the privilege, uh, and don't judge this church for doing this, but because I was sort of in process of my baptism and there was a need for elders at this church, they allowed me to be an elder while not holding firmly to a covenant baptism position. Don't judge. There's a lot of issues. We actually, we actually brought in a lot of PCA guys to help counsel this. But what, what that allowed me to do was to sit in the bowels, if you will, of a session as a young leader and see how the plurality of leadership went. And it was good, bad, and ugly, um, as you can imagine. But what happened with me in this was I began to develop, I began to see that idea of reformed uh, thinking in a all of life vantage point really fleshed out on a session. And I had a conversation with one of my Reformed Baptist friends and he said, so Will, let me just say that, you know, a lot of Reformed Baptists are actually going to an elder um, form of, of government now, but it's still very much the paid laity or the paid clergy that uh, is, are those elders. And he, he said, so Will, if I had to summarize, you would be more comfortable if Joe the plumber, his quote, was an elder along with the pastors? And I said, yes. Because I think that one fits with the Reformed theology and the tenor of scripture. That there ought to be a plurality of eldership. Uh, and Joe the plumber and Will the pastor ought to be uh, working together to govern the church. And that was huge for me. That was a real shift in my, uh, in my thinking. Um, so it, it fleshed out that. And then the other thing that this did that has been a theme for me for the last 15 or 16 years is I feel like the Presbyterian form of government empowers and models the biblical teaching of submission in powerful ways. I, I just Submission uh, to me is one of the greatest gifts God gave uh, his church and, and one of the greatest things Jesus did in modeling his humiliation on earth was his submission to the Father. Submission wasn't a lowly, uh, get in line, you know, subject yourself to some higher power, some more authoritative person. It was, a, it was about humility. And, you know, as a young, you know, at this point, probably 30-year-old uh, whippersnapper, I needed a good dose of humility. <laughs> uh, and seeing myself under the plurality of leadership and submitting myself to men who saw life and marriage and things from a different vantage point was really, really good for me. And so, so I, when I said earlier, plurality of leadership in an elder form of government, Presbyterianism, was not only faithful to the scriptures, but was practically powerful. It was, it was forming and shaping me as a young elder. And, uh, and I see this, you know, I see this now um, very powerfully in the local church. You know, I, 
you know, you have to forgive me. I don't know if you've noticed this, but each time I do membership vows, I end up crying usually. That's, that's not um, theatrics. Um, this idea of asking someone to submit to the church of Jesus Christ and her authority is a really powerful thing in my heart. It means that I have a great responsibility to them and they have a great responsibility to us and to Christ to follow his word, to do what he says, to be spiritual, to not just put on the trappings. We're not, this isn't a, we're not playing church. So when we ask someone to submit with vows, we're asking them to do something very, very spiritual. So that, that's important to me. And I saw that in the plurality of leadership, but also at a macro level, I, uh, when I mean my macro is Robert talked about the local church session, the regional presbytery, and then the, the national general assembly. Uh, those bodies operate in a, in a mutual submission as well, one to the other. But I, I saw this in my own story through the ordination process, um, which was a long and laborious process. Uh, some of our, some of some of the men on this on this elder board sat on those uh, examining times for me, and uh, that process for PCA ministers is is incredibly humbling, <laughs> uh, to say the least. And but in that moment, again, it was me choosing to submit to the brethren in a process that um, was was deeply formative. Um, so eventually when the Lord helped me to settle the baptism issue, I felt myself really being drawn to the PCA and hence why I went on with my ordination there. And that led us to Tate's Creek. Uh, so now let me share with you my journey here. Um, I, ta- I told you about my journey into the church, spiritual missional, Presbyterianism, modeling, submission and reformed theology. My journey to Tate's Creek really was inaugurated not so much on a personal level, but on an organizational level. So I moved here in 2003 to start Campus Outreach. And Campus Outreach started at Briarwood Presbyterian Church, which was where the first PCA General Assembly took place. So Campus Outreach was birthed out of that. But Campus Outreach was birthed not as a parachurch ministry, but as a local church uh, ministry, a ministry owned and operated under the authority of a local church. And so there's no president of campus outreach. There's no general headquarters for campus outreach. There's no general notebook and mechanism for campus outreach. It's all regionally owned. And so when we moved to Kentucky, we were asking God to, to lead us to that church that would oversee campus outreach Lexington. And that story is long too. And again, if you want to hear that one in more detail, I'd love to share it, but here's the summary of that and how we landed here, which was also, you know, for me, another point, for me, what's inseparable is, is the, the place of the leader in, in an organization. The, the, an organization, uh, an institution drifts the way the leaders drift, um, good and bad. And I, I had resolved early, I wanted to be the type of leader that led campus outreach in a positive and fruitful direction, not in... Uh, something else. And so uh, because of my own journey in some of this, I was able to lead campus outreach in that and we, and we landed here. Two, two things that landed us at Tate's Creek. One is we sensed that TCPC was a deeply spiritual church. Um, our experience here was we, we met men and women that loved Christ and that were uh, being formed and shaped by him. We knew very much of the difficult history 
uh, many of the things that happened at Tate's Creek. And as a matter of fact, we, we landed here in the throes of some of that uh, difficulty in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. But TCPC's deep and rich history of faithful Bible teaching, the plurality of elder leadership, the godliness of the men and women we met made us eager to be a part of this fellowship. And what drew us here, and this is, this, I like to tell this story because we were a university ministry, right? Which you think Southland would be like the, you know, we want to, all those kids want to go to Southland. But what we started experiencing here was the, the incredible tension of the transcendent worship and imminent worship that this church was fighting to have. Transcendence, meaning the holiness of God, the, the robes, the organ, the liturgy, the, the silence, the, the reverence. But the eminence, the closeness, the personal nature of God, the, the experience of the fellowship with each other, the greeting of peace, the, the connection with one another, that is a hard, hard balance to, to, to handle. And it takes a lot of fighting, not fighting like ungodly people fighting for their rights, but fighting and tension. What, I need to be shaped out of my own preferences, and I need, to be, I need to be renewed in my thinking. I need to be molded and shaped in the likeness of Christ, and I need to be submitted to my brethren and sisters so that we can mutually edify one another. All of that is, we saw that tension going on here, and we still are fighting for that tension so that we can have not just, an, uh, not just a multicultural church, but a multi-generational church where eight to 80-year-olds feel like they are home here, and it's their church that transcendent, imminent thing really, really drew us in. And I, and I could not wait uh, to that day that we came a part of this church that, with a vision of in 30 years, college students are going to graduate off our campuses. They're going to stay here in Lexington and build their homes and their lives and their, their, their communities. And they're going to experience that level of, of uh, worship and discipleship. I mean, you talk about shaping the next generation. Uh, that, that is an exciting thing for me. So the, the, the Taste Creek was deeply spiritual. Second is we could see very quickly that, that Taste Creek was deeply missional as well. And it's, a couple of things really jumped out of here. And this may sound strange, um, but from the get-go, one of the things that jumped off the pages, if you will here, was the ministry of Nate Jones. Uh, and what I mean by that is Nate embodied everything I had experienced myself in the spiritual sense and the missional sense of the church. Like Nate, Nate just walked with Jesus, loved his family, loved his wife, was being discipled himself. And everybody we seemed to meet, you know, because I was in my mid-30s at that point, like, yeah, I came across with Nate Jones. Oh, yeah, I was involved with Nate Jones. Oh, yeah, me and Nate Jones went to Belarus. Oh, me and Nate Jones. And I was just like, man, this is incredible. But it was, for, for us, it was an embodiment of someone who, I think Nate's been here 21 years or something. Um, and, and just the longevity of life and ministry, Nate, for, for me and for, for us as some of the Kim Sarge guys, embodied what we saw Tate's Creek owning at a, at a missional level. And then secondly was the unbelievable and unmistakable commitment Tate's Creek had to the college campus. At one point, and it may still be this way, RUF, Crew, Young Life, CSF, and Kim Sarge were all here <laughs> in this church. And I, I, listen, you may think, well, that's cool, that's great, but you travel the Christian globe, and they're like, do y'all like hate each other? Do y'all like fighting all the time? Like, are y'all like being territorial? I'm like, no, we're being Christians. Like, there's 27,000 people at the University of Kentucky. About 1,200 of them are doing anything spiritual. Where there ain't no territory. <laughs> uh, we actually would like to have 45 more campus ministries. Bring them all to this place. Start a new one if you want to. 
we got a lot of work to do. And so what God was doing here amongst all those campus groups was highly attractive. That we could come here and not compete, not have turf, not have divisions, but we could unify our efforts and say, we're going we're gonna to reach Lexington through the college campus. And we're seeing that, folks. I mean, we are really seeing that. If you haven't been downtown to see the church plant there and some of the vibrancy there, go and see it. Go see what God's doing at a, at a, at a, at a powerful level through this. But this was important. This was important to me for my long-term vision of the word I use is keeping a pipeline full. That the church, if it's going to be around in 50, 60 years, the pipeline of the next generation has to be full of people who are being converted and discipled in the church. We can't, uh, we can't um, give that off to some other group to do. We can't farm that out to another program. That needs to be the church doing that, and, and that Taste Creek's been a part of that. And then the third thing that drew me here uh, to Taste Creek was the missions partnerships. The, uh, from, from Lynn Hacker and her long history of relationship here to the new relationships with Andy Longway in Scotland to Ruth Sloan's angel tree. We've been a part of Ruth Sloan's angel tree for the last six or seven years since we've been here. This church is just committed to a, a, a missional component that's, that's really, really attractive. Uh, that flows from the top down, from the session through the diaconate to the missions giving, uh, mercy team, all of that. Okay, so that gives you a little bit of my story um, Church, PCA, TCPC. Um, let me stop there and just see maybe if you have a question on that that you want clarity on uh, or that may I can pers- personally give an answer to. And then, and then I was going to end with, so that's my first 25 years of walking with Christ and being in the church. I can't leave without giving my hopes for the next 25 years. <laughs> uh, this is what I'm excited about for the next 25 years, Lord willing. So before I do that, questions or thoughts? Questions? My story. I think so. Hopefully, I didn't say anything too offensive. <laughs> I always worry about that. Sue. I hope my mind wasn't wandering and I missed something. <laughs> but I just, I just wondered what you. I mean, all like you said earlier, all churches go through difficult, difficult times. How? What has your experience been? Um, that why the Presbyterian former church government, on the bigger level, when there are different. Great question. You know, um, how, that had, how that has affected you and how you've seen that to be maybe a better, yeah. better way. Yeah, th- thank you. Um, I almost, uh, you know, I, as I was thinking about how to f- frame this, um, I almost used um, uh, safety and submission as my two main points of why I love this church. And safety and safety is, the, is, is my answer to that. And it, what I mean is, the form of government that I've experienced, walked through, been a part of, creates the most safe environment for there to be a checks and balances of, of leadership where one personality can't dominate, where one opinion, where one group, where one rogue situation can't dominate, where one preference set 
doesn't get to rule the day, but where there's a plurality. And there's, there's an incredible amount of safety in this, security, uh, comfort, trust, where, where, I, where I didn't feel that in some of my congregational days where it felt tenuous, it felt it's scattered, it felt this is really going to go the way that the pastor goes. This is really going to go the way that a few of the uh, loudest people in the church go. And I think, I, think, I think our church, I think because we're human, we still struggle with that. I think we can still struggle with the uh, cult of personality. Um, I mean, just to be frank, this whole Brad Waller thing has resurfaced that, that we just, we can't make humans our heroes. We just can't. Uh, God has to be our hero because humans are going to let us down. But even that Brad situation, how the process has gone is, is created a very safe place for victims and people to struggle through something horrific like that. And uh, so that, that's what I've experienced is that safety. And then the other is, is the, I think I said it, and I'll, I'll say it again, is the absolute necessity of submission as a Christian um, doctrine. Uh, we, we are submitted to Christ. We are submitted to one another. The leaders of the church are submitted to each other. The church is submitted to the leadership. This church is submitted to the presbytery. The presbytery is submitted to the general assembly, and on and on. And so safety and submission seem to be the things that I, I would, that's why, that's why I'm a Presbyterian now, is I feel safe here. I feel, I feel, I feel watched. Sometimes I wish I wasn't watched so much, um, but I feel watched, feel cared for. And then I feel like I can submit with trust here. Does that help? Okay, any other questions, comments? Okay, well, let me let me land the plane, and, um, and then we'll, we'll we'll be done. Here, if I were to say, here's three things that sort of get my gears going um, for what we might together be a part of over the next 25 years. First is, and I, you've probably heard me preach on this maybe too much, and every time I preach, I tend to say it, but the, the notion of being blessed to be a blessing. Um, when, when, when we hear that, um, you know, the blessed teaching of Scripture, it is God pouring out His Spirit in my life to transform me, to equip me, to resource me so that I can be more like Christ. And so it starts with me. It starts with you. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless me. And that blessing has transformational dynamics to it. I should not be the same today as I will be in five years. I should see more of my sin. I should see more of his grace. I should be more gentle and kind. I should be more clear on my convictions and my courage to go to the, to the lost world. You know, all those things. Uh, that's the blessed component. But it's so that God is using me to pour his blessing out to others. I, I, really, want, I really want to beat that drum uh, more and more over the next 25 years that God really does want to bless you. And God really does want you to go bless people. <laughs> uh, he really does. And uh, so that'd be number one. Number two, that that blessed to be a blessing would manifest itself in a movement of the gospel in this area of, of more churches. And I mean that, more churches. We don't need more mega churches. We don't need, it's too hard to pastor uh, a, a thousand person church. We need eight 300 person churches within a 10 mile radius. We need to put one right over there because we're not doing anything to Trent Boulevard. Uh, we need to put 10 downtown. 
the way Hamburg's going, we could have three over there and not reach everybody there. Like this whole idea that, oh, we don't want to get too saturated and, oh, that's too many PCA is baloney to me. It's the same principle as the campus. Really? There's 27,000 students at University of Kentucky and 1,200 of them are doing anything for Christ. We got plenty of room for more laborers. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And I think the scriptural answer to the workers of the few is more churches. That God raises up men and women who will say, hey, I'll move neighborhoods. Hey, I'll put my kids in a different school system. Hey, I'm willing to, God forbid, move to Thailand, maybe. <laughs> uh, and, that, and my vision for this is that holistic. That we ought to go to Hamburg and we ought to go to Bangkok. We just ought to. And I pray that that happens. I pray that as we're blessed and God shapes and transforms, some of the empty nesters go, hey, I can move anywhere I want to go. I'm going I'm to use my retirement funds and I'm going to pack it up and go move to North Broadway and we'll help plant a church there. Uh, or some of the families with kids thinking about school will say, hey, what's the most strategic school for me right now to put my kids in so that the gospel can be reached there? I, I just think those kind of questions ought to be happening and I can't wait to see that form in us. And then finally, that that multiplying of churches would result in a movement of diversity that reflects the kingdom of God as portrayed in Ephesians and Revelation. What I mean by diversity, I do mean every nation, language, tongue, people, race. Ephesians, Paul uses the term one man. And that, that, may, not, that may not happen at rapid run because we're in a, a, a homogeneous uh, situation, but it can for sure happen through our church planting efforts. We can get behind a diversified effort in this city, in Louisville, and Cincinnati, and all this area to see a diversified component where the dividing walls of hostility between nations and races can be broken down. Uh, so if, 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 you, if you wanna see that as a flow, it starts with me and all those things being shaped in me, all those things being shaped in you, deeply spiritual, right? The church is spiritual. We are spiritual men and women before God. And then the missional comes right after it, that God blesses us to be a blessing. So that would be my story and my hope to be my story. Uh, uh, and Nate, as he walked by my office this morning, I, I had a friend whose daughter died this week and I have to do the funeral. But the way he phrased it, he said, Will, when's your funeral? <laughs> and I was like, well, I hope it's not today. <laughs> I was like, that's a weird question. You know, like, I say that, I close this, I say, if I were to die today, I'd still want to see this happen. And, and so I... Yeah, I'm praying these kind of prayers for our church and for our city. And I believe prayer is eternal, even if my body uh, on this earth is not. It will go be with Jesus, and those prayers will still be burning with incense before the throne, and they'll happen. So let's get ready to make them happen, right? Okay.